Welcome to the Nicholas Brown Podcast, a podcast talk show about real estate investing, business leadership, and personal development. Each week, we explore current real-life case studies about how to build financial independence through investing in real estate to build your personal portfolio through passive income models, along with interviews from the top business leaders and personal development leaders. Now, here's your host, Nicholas Brown. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm excited as usual. I got a guest, which actually he's a Marine Corps. He's in the Marines. He's my my, my brother, my brother here, though. But uh, one thing I want to stress out to you, Clubhouse is powerful, ladies and gentlemen. I met this person through Clubhouse, and, and it's ongoing. Don't worry about your blessings. Your blessings will come regardless and build bridges. Man, I'm just building bridges. So we've just been going back and forth, and we got some common interests, which the purpose of this podcast and if you're watching on youtube make sure you guys subscribe so you'll see more of these types of videos also ladies and gentlemen this here is going to be the topic he's an expert on business and development so what i'm going to do so we get straight to the information and and move on because we're going to try to make this short here one thing i want you guys to do too download this if you're listening in on any podcast download this information too because it's going to be some nuggets which i'm going to push this person's that we have more than just one podcast, especially in, in the future, and more YouTube videos that you guys are watching. So here we go. Luke Crumley is one of the top business leader and personal development experts joining us today. Luke is an accomplished, pragmatic, results-oriented leader with more than 10 years of public service within DOD, which is the Department of Defense, and the United States House of Representatives. His specialties are government agency liaison, Network building, constituent relations, personal administration, training and education, education plans development, operation planning, organizational development, political advocacy, grassroots engagement, messaging. So make sure you guys join his newsletter on his website, which is www.partofthepossible.com. Welcome to the show, Luke. (laughs) <laughs> Nicholas, I am just excited to to be here with you today, and yeah. I have to say, uh, you make me sound a lot cooler than the political half. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> man, man, you're awesome, man. People don't know you polished, man. I'm just, you know, excited about you. But here's what I want to do, straight to it, because once again, it's about personal development and business leadership. You fit that, and you fit that for for our audience and people who's looking to get in there. I just want to get straight to the source and ask these questions. Can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And Nicholas, again, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the plug on the, the website. Um, you know, part of the possible is, is the community I'm trying to develop uh, really focused on advocacy in this country. You know, we, I think most of us would acknowledge that our political system is full of rhetoric and rancor that is really unacceptable. And I have a, a firm belief that we, you know, we've seen this in the Marine Corps. Right. The, the real leadership doesn't come from top down. It comes from the bottom up. That's right. When you, when your, your corporals and your sergeants identify a problem and they come to you with a solution, as they did with me when I was a young officer. Right. 
that that's where the the real uh, real effort came to up everyone's game, right? And that applies in politics too. Right. And I, I firmly believe there's a pathway for nonprofits and for individuals to get better at advocacy. And we when we raise them to a higher level, we're going to force everyone else to have to step their game up too. You right. know, if you're if you're disappointed with with politics and special interests and the idea of lobbying, you know, I'm a lobbyist. Okay. That's my business. But you make that simple. And when you say a lobbyist, because my type of group, which is real estate investing or whatever, yeah. people, entrepreneurs, what is a lobbyist? So they'll well, get educated. Real estate politics. investors, actually, real estate, the, the industry has some really exceptional lobbyists, especially um, the National Association of Realtors. Really phenomenal group. Uh, and if, you're, if you aren't a part of that association or, you know, if you're a realtor and you're just getting started, find your local chapter because, you know, those associations are really powerful in amplifying your voice and identifying really? the challenges within your business. Right. Okay. So no matter what you do, no matter what your industry. So I currently represent folks in the agriculture sector. I, I represent folks who grow corn and small grains here in Ohio. Okay. And, you know, we understand that the 30,000 plus folks in Ohio who are engaged in that crop production aren't experts necessarily at the political process, right? So they bring in someone like me or the National Association of Realtors brings in someone like me to do a few things. First, identify threats and opportunities within the political sphere. So evaluating what's happening within uh, the administration, within Congress, within your state legislature, at the uh, bureaucratic level, through administrative agencies. And then we help develop plans for how we can put those association members in front of decision makers and, and tell their story. Tell their story about how bad policy will, will dampen their business how a change in policy could actually accelerate business, uh, could lay the groundwork for new opportunities for people to get into the field. So, you know, people talk about lobbyists, you know, people often, <laughs> when I introduce myself as a lobbyist, they immediately right, think right. I've got horns and a tail. No, I, no, I'm a guy who's got 10 years of, of experience working for members of Congress. Uh, I can help you identify you know, the pathway to get something done. And we figure out, you know, what are our tangible goals and we just work toward them. And what's the biggest part of lobbying is not actually making an ask on a specific bill or uh, an administrative rule. Instead, the bulk of the work that we do is, number one, educate policy uh, leaders, decision makers, okay. elected officials, uh, other uh, stakeholder groups that might be tangential to our causes, right? So education, and then training our advocates. And that's what I'm doing with part of the possible is I, you know, I realize that there's this, this lack of opportunity, especially for small and medium-sized nonprofits right. to really key in on what good advocacy looks like. And just like in business, it really boils down to relationship building. It's, it's right. nothing more than spending the, the time, making the investment to build trust uh, so that you can be seen as a subject matter expert on your issues. Oh, and yeah, but are you an in-between person? Do you represent people that I don't know if you're elected as a lobbyist? Or do you no. That subject? So, for example, if I'm a realtor or a real estate investor, are you out there representing me or saying, uh, presenting what I feel is not right as a real estate investor? Or is that what you do? Or do you talk to? Yeah. So, so again, National Association of Realtors. For anyone who's a realtor, uh, that association 
is representing the interests of that particular group, not the elected officials. And they're and lobbyists aren't elected; they're hired. I can be fired oh, at will by really? my employer. I didn't know right? that. Yeah, I thought, they, yeah. I thought they were elected. See, I don't know. No, don't know. they're not elected. Uh, you know, there are freelance lobbyists. You know, I could go hang a shingle tomorrow and just start representing whoever I want. I'm in the association lobbying realm, and and that's what I really really like because those associations are where people come together from diverse backgrounds, but all kind of rowing in the same direction on a specific field that they're working in, right? And we bring them in as the experts on their issues, right? Gotcha. And we, we find out what's most important to them, and then we work for those folks. And okay. it's it's really rewarding work. I, if you haven't joined an association, this is my shameless pitch to all of your listeners that if they haven't joined an association or, or a nonprofit that's, that's working in advocacy, start out there. Join, simply join an association in your career field. Find a, a nonprofit that's looking for, for advocates to, to go do visits to their st state legislature and get involved. And, you know, hopefully what I create within Part of the Possible will someday become a resource to, to many more of those organizations. That's why I was going to plug, ladies and gentlemen. That's what he's doing also in time, which I wish him, you know, speedy success because this information is needed because we don't know. We didn't know. I, I honestly thought that you was, you know, part of being elected. So that's good information. So they can actually Google their local area also as a lobbyist to join an association, right, that mm -hmm. you're talking about. And yeah, that, you know, that's, a little if, tip. that's what I'm asking for. What's a little tip on that? How yeah. would someone do that? I think one really good place to start, you know, if you're if you're a, a small business owner, find your local chamber of commerce. Okay, find your local rotary club, the things that you would already be doing in your business space. And here's a really simple way to add value to what you're already doing. Because if you're, if you're involved in your local community through organizations like that, especially the chamber of commerce, just about every chamber of commerce I've dealt with here in Ohio has a government affairs committee. And that's a, a committee of members who are focused keenly on identifying uh, what they want to advocate on at the local level. So the, the easiest way, find the, the organizations you're already engaging with and ask the question, hey, are we advocating? Are we lobbying? Are we engaged okay. in some way in advancing policy? And how can I be involved? Gotcha. One more question, because it's kind of deep. This is a thought that I'm having here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area location. Mm -hmm. I'm in. Um, can a lobbyist represent a certain part of the city or certain areas of that subject? So, for example, if I'm, if I'm in real estate investing and I focus here on the Southern Dallas area and I want certain things to happen or I want some people to vote on that, which, you know, will a lobbyist be involved or is that, you know, is that something that you do? Yeah, I mean, it, that, it depends that's what on you the... do. That's the title. Right. That's an example, rather. Right. That's exactly what what we're here to do, you know, and I wouldn't think of it as geographically bound. I would try to identify a lobbyist who focuses on specific types of issues. So, you know, here in Ohio, there are several firms that are really well known uh, for tax issues, right? Um, so if you if you have a tax issue and you wanted to hire a contract lobbying firm to to promote one specific bill that's the way i would go okay. but if you've got a community organization say you've got uh, we've got a community here in, in northwest columbus called dublin and say dublin where you know it's just a little bit north of where i live say dublin wants to advocate for a major state investment they could hire a lobbying firm too as the city they could hire a lobbying firm to go try to advance that okay. uh, it's not guaranteed to work uh, but 
you also don't necessarily need a lobbyist. And, and that's, that's really the, the key point that I landed on and why I felt compelled to start putting material out there about this yeah. topic. Most nonprofits, most individuals don't have the resources necessary to compete, you know, because lobbying can get pretty expensive. I mean, yeah, I bill it 50 bucks an hour, basically, right? And, you know, if I've got a whole lobbying firm, you know, that, that price is going to go up pretty significantly. Sure. Um, you know, if you're a small nonprofit, you don't have those kind of resources. But what you do have are volunteers, and you've got staff, and you can tell your own story. And if you have those three pieces, really, you can, you can advocate, you can lobby without having a lobbyist on, okay. on staff or, or hired for your team. If you have staff who can help set a strategic direction and engage the volunteers within your organization, you can then empower those volunteers to get in front of their legislators, in front of their city council folks, you know, whoever they need to, to advocate for their issues. And they're it's not something that has to be overthought, but there are some really simple strategies and tactics that you can employ to, to empower your members to get them there. That's why I know you did the key word strategy. You execute strategy. You got to be a, a strategist, right? In this type of field that you're in. Yeah. Right? That's why I yeah, made you click on it. You know, you got to do well, it. You got to make got it happen. That, track we've it. got that third battalion, second Marines background. <laughs> <laughs> Simplify, man. <laughs> do or die, man. No, but tactics, though. You follow yeah. through. You follow mm -hmm. through. But you can be able to track. And you got data. People pay for the experience of what's happening. Mm -hmm. That's where you can adjust what's mm -hmm. going on. So that's pretty much what you do as a lobbyist. Because tell them about your, your which, what's your, what you specific, corn and wheat, right? What, what are you a yeah. lobbyist for in Ohio? So, so in Ohio, corn and wheat, uh, and yeah, I, on this call, I'm not representing corn and wheat. I'm going to put that disclaimer out there. Okay. But, okay. I'll, but agricultural I'll producers. I'll give another example. Yeah. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. Agricultural producers are really concerned about protecting the environment. Okay. We are, we are stewards of the land. You know, our grower members, uh, to remain profitable, uh, they have to take care of their soil. They need to make sure that, uh, that they are being good to the soil, good to the water, Okay. Uh, and the products that they grow have a natural ability because this is what plants do. They pull carbon from the air and sequester it in the soil. Uh, so we're right kind of, you know, right now, this is really prescient to what's happening in the, the broader political discussion right now. We're okay. out there trying to show the role that agriculture can play in promoting a cleaner environment for everyone. Okay. You know, and it's, it's not just the rural environment that's going to benefit from cleaner air, right? You know, we, we partner with folks like the American Lung Association, uh, several environmentalist groups to show the, the benefits of corn-based ethanol. You know, one thing that most folks don't know, Nicholas, is that in every gallon of gas that you buy mm -hmm. uh, for your car, there's at least 10% corn-based ethanol blended into that. Really? Yeah. Ethanol plays a role as an oxygenate in your fuel. It helps to improve the, the efficiency of your fuel, but it also reduces the carbon footprint at the tailpipe. So in 2007, Congress passed the renewable, well, 2005 uh, into 2007, that time period, Congress was working on the renewable fuel standard. And that renewable fuel standard basically set the groundwork for E10, 10% ethanol blends, uh, to become the standard for all of our fuels. So 87, 89, 93, your premium gasoline all have 10% ethanol. Okay, I see that. 87, yeah. okay, and I see yep. that 10%. Yep. Okay, that's what Exactly, that's what that means. So that, that's, that comes from corn. And it's yellow two field corn. It's not the kind of corn that you and I can eat. It's not sweet corn. 
yellow two field corn can go into ethanol production and it can go into feed for animals. Uh, okay. Humans eat sweet corn. That's what we eat. Uh, yellow two field corn is, is better for cows. It's better for pigs, chickens, and it's, uh, it's an excellent source of the starch that you need to create ethanol, uh, which, you know, here's a fun fact. Cars have always run on ethanol. The Model T was designed to run on 100% ethanol, not 10%. Yeah, and, and folks just don't know this stuff. I didn't know it because I don't come from an agricultural background. I've been learning it over the last year and a half working wow. for these wonderful right. growers. Right. What we're, the case that we're making now uh, nationally is that corn ethanol plays a, a very specific role in helping diminish greenhouse gas emissions today. You know, the largest sector for greenhouse gas emissions, I don't think is any surprise, it's transportation. It's, it's the fuel that we're using in our vehicles. But transition to alternative fuels can take a long time, especially if you're talking about transition to things like electric vehicles. And we don't, we don't, we think the consumer should decide uh, what technology they're going to adopt if they want to be, be greener. Make, you know, let, let the American consumer make that decision for themselves. Right. But we have a product right now called E15 or unleaded 88. 88 refers to that octane number that you would see on the pump. And that 15% right. blend would have, you know, 50% more corn ethanol compared to the E10 variants, right? It would burn at a higher octane, which is better for your engine. And it reduces, right? Is that better for and it, Pollution, and it reduces, right? yeah, it reduces greenhouse gas emissions at the tailpipe. So right. from seed to tailpipe is how I like to frame it for legislators and for, for folks that we would engage. I'm giving you a little class on how I would go about this here. Um, you know, from seed to tailpipe is the story. And right now, alternative fuels, biofuels in particular, like soy-based uh, diesel and ethanol, are graded at the federal level on a different scale than other technologies like electric vehicles. And we're trying to advocate for, you know, for the government to say, hey, the full life cycle of corn needs to be taken into account because we're using models that are 10, 15, 20 years old to tell the story. And if you look at... Yeah, and if you update those models to real science right. and you account for that full life cycle of the plant into production and then finally coming out of the tailpipe, corn-based ethanol compared to the gasoline with which it's blended reduces carbon dioxide, emi carbon dioxide emissions by 50, nearly 50%. Wow. It's about 46%. That's a big improvement. And it's available right now. That 15% blend, Nicholas, if it's available in your area, you can buy it today. It'll work in any car uh, that's sold for regular gasoline usage in the United States since 2001. It works in nine out of 10 vehicles right now. Really? <laughs> it's not a flex fuel. It's, it's a standard fuel. You want to look for, it's either called E15 or unleaded 88, but that's, that's one of our big initiatives. You know, we are environmentalists because it, you know, in agriculture, we depend on the environment. We want to protect it. We want to promote it for future generations. So that leads to it because we're about to cut this short. Oh, it's also cheaper. Really? But <laughs> yeah, about five to 10 cents. Unleaded yeah. 88, I guess it depends. Now you're going to have me focus. Now I'll be an aha. Oh, I see that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me switch yep. gasoline. Let me get the uh, 88. So, But here's, here's the point. A year and a half ago, when I was a congressional staffer still, okay. I didn't know any of that. Okay. I didn't know any of that because no one had told me. What and got here's you drawn the, to that? So I'm, I'm kind of going off tip. What, what got you passionate? What, what draw, draw you to that? So even though I never farmed, you know, my family, my dad had farmed growing up. 
Uh, my mom's from a farming community, uh, but in the 80s, the farm economy just went in the tank and it, a bunch of people sold off their farms, right? Mm. So I never grew up on the farm, okay. uh, but my dad would always take me back when I was growing up. He'd take me back to the, the old family grounds and my grandma still had her house uh, you know, right next to where the old farm was. And my dad would walk me through the fields and he would tell me about these things. He would tell me about his experiences, right? So I always had an appreciation for it. But honestly, I was looking for a change. Um, and that's, that's what led me to start uh, exploring different options in the realm of politics. I was burnt out. I mean, political staff work is not, this is not a woe is me comment here. Uh, but <laughs> no, political staff say, work. Really? Because yeah. you don't know that at the, the, the back end of it. You guys mm -hmm. work hard. Political staff work is draining, especially right. in a district office. You know, folks always think about either campaigns or Washington, D.C. when they think about Congress. What they don't think about is the, the district office back home. So I spent eight and a half years working back here in Columbus, Ohio, helping our constituents uh, raise their issues for attention. Number one, helping them advocate, right? Uh, but more importantly, doing what's called constituent services work and helping folks like a, a little old lady I met on my second day uh, at work. Her name is Sue. And Sue had been fighting with the Department of Veterans Affairs for 30 years to wow. get her husband's death service connected. And you know this, some of your listeners may not, but that service connection piece is like the gold standard in the Department of Veterans Affairs. If you can have an illness service connected, that opens you up to a whole suite of benefits that you don't have right. otherwise, a whole exactly. set of care that you don't have otherwise. And for 30 years, this widow had been trying to navigate that process and get her husband's death service connected. He was in the Navy during World War II. He, got, he developed mesothelioma and died, right? But all because of a paper error, a paper trail error, where the VA sent a letter to her that they didn't think they had sent, and then subsequently didn't send a letter that they thought they had sent. Wow. <laughs> Both. Right, right. Uh, Sue's, yeah, Sue's case had stagnated over 30 years, three decades she'd been fighting through this. I met her on my second day on the job, two years later after, after going through with a, a fine tooth comb on her records and fighting tooth and nail with the, the regional office for the VA on her behalf, we were finally able to get her husband's death service, service connected. That's but awesome, it took two man. years. That's and awesome. it, took, it took completely stepping away from the entire case. Everything that had been done in the past, throw it out. Let's start from square one. Let's do the homework. Let's, let's build the relationship with the VA regional office. So when I call and I ask them the stupid question that I have, they're not just going to shove me off. No, I'm here representing a member of Congress. We authorize your budget. Give wow. me an answer. Right? That's what, so, that what you said, Lily? That's what you uh, At one point, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> at one point. And, and that's the, the thing about congressional staff. Because of their member because of the member of Congress and that person's name on the door, uh, political staff have an opportunity to do good at the micro and the macro level. What we did for Sue was so very focused on just her case, but it helped me understand that process better for right. every other constituent that came after. Here's, here's how that developed. You know, I, I came straight out of the Marine Corps. Uh, was a, uh, I was a first lieutenant at the time, picked up captain while I was in graduate school. I was going to graduate school full-time, working for the member of Congress full-time. Very busy, right? But I, I made sure to invest in the, the homework of advocating for that individual. 
and I built out some systems that worked for navigating those those processes. And but you have a template. I, you have a template, right? Yeah, not that I can you share. Head, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you exactly, exactly. But it, it applies to just about every federal agency. Okay. Uh, this this process, this inquiry process, and if a staffer follows it, here's what can happen. You're not going to win every case, but over the course of the eight and a half years that I did constituent services work, we helped literally hundreds of veterans in Central Ohio, hundreds, receive millions of dollars in retroactive benefits. Wow. Something like $5 million in retroactive benefits that they had been owed for years. That's awesome. That's awesome. But more important than the money, they now had access to care. They had access right. to educational benefits. Their kids could get educational benefits. Right. If they died, their widow would be taken care of. You know, and Abraham Lincoln, you know, he, it was his charge really, that's the, the mission statement of the VA, to care for he who born the battle and for his orphan and his widow. Uh, I may have botched that quote. It's Don't okay. quote me right. directly on that. Say it but again, that, say it again. What's the, what's the saying? To care for he who has born the battle and his widow and his orphan. Wow. And that's the charge of the VA, right? It, you know, these, these folks have signed a check, a blank check up to and including the, their life <laughs> for the country. Right. And we need to be there to, to provide these resources. But the frustrating part, less than 1% of folks serve in uniform. There's a big disconnect uh, between civilian world and the military world. Yes. And it is really hard yes. for congressional staffers to understand the burdens yes. of military life and how to navigate that's those right. processes. That's right. So our success, I feel, was fairly unique, uh, but we had to put a lot of work into making it happen. And I was then able to hire uh, other veterans uh, and, and train them up on it, and they've continued to be successful. Uh, we've been able to help coach other offices and help them be successful. But it, again, it took investing a, a whole lot of resources, a whole lot of time, a whole lot of energy, and it took building trust, not only trust uh, between me and those agencies so that they knew I was also trying to help them, uh, you know, add value to their work, get their work done, take care of people, uh, earn a good reputation with veterans, right? But also trust with the constituent. Uh, and that's a two-way street. You know, the constituent has to trust me to advocate on their behalf, but I have to trust that that constituent is going to honor my time and, and respect me as I'm trying to help them through a really difficult time, right? When, right. folks are, when folks are going to their member of Congress uh, or their state legislator on an issue, it's not usually happy fun time, right? You're usually up against a wall. You've got uh, an, a bill that's coming down the pipeline that may have big implications for your business. You may, have, uh, you may be at rock bottom financially, uh, physically, emotionally. You might, might have health issues. And you need someone that you can trust that's going to navigate all that. So it's that's what it's ties into your your type of field, right? Mm -hmm. you, yep, exactly. But exactly, we got to do part two. We got to do another time. Okay. Yeah, because I, I see we're on the subject that I, I see more time needed for. Yep. So this is what I need for my listeners, um, Luke. Can you give them some tips or any last words? Because I'm going to cut this short here, um, because I want to 
I'm going to hold you to it. I want a part two because you're talking you about it. personal development and business mm -hmm. leadership, but you're talking about overall how to become a leader and what it, what it mm -hmm. takes. So people need, I need, I need more video footage of that. I need more, more people. I need more podcast footage of that. Mm -hmm. And ladies and gentlemen, this, this person here, he's just natural, man. He's natural. <laughs> I appreciate that, my he's man. Very natural. So give him a tip. Give him, give him, give him some last words, Luke. I appreciate your time here also. I'll, I'll do two. I'll do one in the world of advocacy and one in the world of leadership. We'll gotcha. start with advocacy. The, the first tip on advocacy is start. Get involved. Uh, like I talked about earlier, contact an association within your field. Contact a local chamber of commerce. Find out what they're doing. And if it appeals to you, volunteer. Help out. Learn yeah. about the issues. Uh, get an opportunity to go visit your legislators. Thomas Jefferson said, we don't, have a, we don't have government by majority. We have government by majority of those who show up. That's right. Just show and up. If you, uh, <laughs> and if you're, not, if you're not at the table, That's you're right. on the table. You have okay. no say. That's why I say vote. So, if, you, yep. if you didn't vote, you have no say. You have no say. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, voting is like the bare minimum. If you are serious about, about improving our country, it, it's got to be much more than that. I don't care where you land on issues. If you disagree with me on nine out of 10 things, there's probably still one thing we can agree on and work toward, right? Right. But I can't do that if you're not there uh, showing right. up. Show up. So get advocacy, first step, okay. show up. Okay. The on the leadership yeah. development side, this is tough, but I, I go back to uh, lessons that, that we learned uh, in the Marine Corps, right? And right. it really boils down to uh, leaders eating last. And, you know, I'm a reader. Uh, I, I love to read. My website even has a, a, it's, the section is called the bookshelf and it's a list of right. recommendations on different topics. And, and right. one of them is, uh, one of them I have on the bookshelf is Simon Sinek. He's a, he's a leadership coach, right? Okay. And he, and he actually embedded with military units to learn our culture. Uh, and he, this phrase stuck with him because he, he heard it like you and I heard it, leaders eat last. And what's that, what does that mean to you, Nicholas? When you hear leaders eat last, what does that mean to you? Leaders eat last. Leaders eat last. Take care of them. I mean, take care. Take care of the people that's, that's helping you. Helping you out is making this stuff happen. You know, leaders. Leaders eat last. Take care of your. I take care of my surroundings. The, the loyalty. The people's making it happen. I don't. I don't need the food because you yeah. provided the source or the way to make this happen. Leaders eat last. You know, so I'm okay. That's what I think. So. Yeah, it's a simple statement of a being humble, right? Okay. B, looking to your people and recognizing their needs because those are the people that are going to go out and make you successful. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. But then remembering you still got to eat too, right? You're right. going to eat. You got to remember to eat. Right. Just get in the back of the line and, and yeah. make sure that your people are taken care of first. Who's taking care of? That's awesome. So those, are my, those are my two big ones right now. Well, hey, Luke, man, I appreciate it. We're just on time. We're on a schedule you on the tight schedule i'm on the tight schedule too but i just appreciate you showing up as you say before <laughs> and doing it so where can they get in contact you got any, any location or any, any plug you want to present yeah I, i'd love for folks to check out uh you know obviously my website part of the possible.com uh, part of the possible all one word.com uh and and a good email if you want to reach out is just luke at part of the possible.com. And, you know, I would love for you to subscribe to my, my email newsletter, uh, really trying to grow that so that people 
people get exposed to these topics uh, on a weekly basis. I put typically about two blog posts up per week. Okay. Um, and the folks who are on my news, newsletter chain, I send out one email on Thursdays just to let you know about both of those posts. That way I'm not spamming your email. I, I try to be respectful of folks like that, right? That's awesome. Um, but yeah, there are you know, social channels. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I, I spend less time on Twitter. Twitter's a little too negative for me. Um, okay. But Instagram, especially Clubhouse, uh, you know, we're, we're connected. People should absolutely right. connect with both of us on Clubhouse. Yeah, um, and I recently started doing TikTok as well. I don't do dances. Uh, that would just <laughs> I be saw the videos. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's more of a personal space where I, I share life with my daughter. I'm a girl dad. And, you know, we that's both, my first. And, and yeah. We talked about this last time we, we got together. That's the first and most important <laughs> yeah. job, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's what's this. first on my bios. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, hey, look, man, I appreciate your time. And once Same again, you, my friend. Simplify. 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 Do or die. Do or die. Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. If you guys are listening in on a podcast, make sure you download this this um, episode. And if you watch it on YouTube, make sure you guys subscribe for more videos such as this. It's educational, Okay. So as we say, don't condemn, don't complain, because you have a choice to make a change. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on the Nicholas Brown Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, www.nickbrowninc.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show and you are a new real estate investor, then check out one of Nicholas's free reports called the Wholesale Dominator Report. Also located on our website, www.nickbrownie.com slash free reports. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And remember, don't condemn, don't complain, because you have a choice to make a change. Have a great day.